Well, it is another scandal of the week. And this week the scandal was a guy named John Gruden who was fired from a job in the National Football League that paid him $10 million a year. I know you can't even think about what that means, but that's the number. He left the job $10 million a year. His crime was not murder or theft or embezzlement. The crime was uh, emails from 10 to 12 years ago that were uncovered showing his uh, degrading labels used on co-workers and his peers. He's a very respected man in the National Football League, but his hidden dirty past uh, was revealed. He was a leading voice uh, years ago on Monday Night Football. He actually won the Super Bowl as a coach. Uh, He was as high as he could be. And in less than a week, he has become an untouchable. Nobody wants to be around him. He just disappears. And one of the loudest voices this week said, John Gruden is getting what he deserves. And I stepped back and I thought, boy, oh boy, I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. Jesus set up an appointment with a woman who knew all about scandal. Her resume was a mess. Her background put her on the untouchable list. She wore a scarlet letter and everyone knew it. The story is from John chapter 4. It's very interesting when you survey the Gospels, you find Luke, one who wrote the stories of Jesus, in his book he wrote of over 100 people that encountered Jesus. But John mentions only about 60 people. John writes in a different style than Luke or Mark or Matthew. He He doesn't move quickly from story to story to story. Rather, he slows down and he takes time to introduce you to one situation and then another situation. People who have encounters with Jesus. It's just a different way of writing. It's it's pretty cool. Like he introduces us to John the Baptist in chapter 2, a very fiery prophet. And then he moves to chapter 3 and he introduces us to this leading teacher of Israel named Nicodemus and the conversation with Jesus. And then there's a lame man in John chapter 5 that he focuses on and a woman caught in adultery in chapter 8. And he takes a whole chapter about one miracle and one man who was born blind. A whole chapter of nine. In chapter 11, you'll remember he talks about the family of Lazarus and how he raised him from the dead. Here in John chapter 4, there's this broken woman who becomes one of the first evangelists for the Lord. They're real people that John introduces us to that have these encounters with Jesus and they walk away. They're never the same again. You have a story like that. This woman came alone to the well that day. That tells you a lot right there. Alone, noontime, untouchable, rejected. 
John Weiss says that she had a jar in her hand and bones in her closet. Well, that tells you a lot, doesn't it? Long ago, the Assyrians invaded the region and they deported the Jews out of Israel and imported foreigners into their land. And they stayed there. They brought with them their pagan religions. And eventually they intermarried with some Jews, with themselves. And they remained in that land ever since. And they lived right next door to the border of the Jewish state of Israel. And the Jews always looked down on them because they were in their land, but they were not their people. They were half-breeds. That's what they called them. The rivalry between the two was so intense that people would rather go around the region of Samaria than through it. But Jesus did what wasn't done. He always seems to do what isn't done, doesn't He? If you like radicals, you'll like Him. He took the direct route straight through. The disciples walked all morning, and so they were hungry, and they went into the town of Sychar to buy some food. And the Bible says, uh, John writes in chapter 4, verse 6, the disciples, I'm sorry, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Um, Just a side note here. Um, Are you, all the kids are gone now. Maybe parents or grandparents here are familiar because your kids make you watch movies with them. Maybe Avenger movies. And so a bunch of you are probably familiar with Tony Hawk. I mean Iron Man. I mean Tony. I mean Iron Man. Which one is he? Well, he's got these two identities. He's both. That's a good way to explain who Jesus is to little kids. He's like that. He's like Iron Man. But wait, he's Tony Hawk. He's got these two identities. He's both God and man. John records that they arrived at this historic well after walking most of the morning. It's lunchtime. Jesus sat down to rest. The guys are hungry. He's hot and thirsty. Uh, He wasn't Superman. He wasn't immune to human earthly conditions. He's a real person like you and me who gets tired and gets sleepy and gets hungry and gets thirsty. He's subject to every temptation. He was subject to every temptation like we are. Yet, He was God. He had this, you're going to see, He had this supernatural knowledge about this unknown woman. He knew all about her past. He offered her eternal life. So in John 4, we see this amazing humanity of Jesus, yet the divinity of Jesus right there in the first four or five verses. It's just an amazing thing. And John just moves on with life like, yep, that's who he was. Jesus, a man. Jesus, who is God. Anyway, back to the story. That's just a side note. It's interesting in some of the translations, the word surprised is used twice in this story. The woman was surprised that Jesus talked to her. The disciples came back and they were surprised that he was talking to a woman. Jesus was very radical in his so, in social settings. He went against social rules all the time. Uh, she was a woman. He spoke to her. He, he did what wasn't done in those times. 
He drank from the jar of a Samaritan woman. He did what wasn't done. She was a sinner. Respectable people didn't mix with sinners. Samaritan, female sinners. He did what wasn't done. All the time he's doing that. He loved everyone, respected everyone, and backed off from no one. That's just the beautiful thing about him. And I find, I would just ask you, do you, do you avoid people? Uh, are there people that you just won't talk to? Uh, it's a humbling thing to read the scriptures because you see him and then you realize who you are and you go, oh boy. I got a long way to go here, Lord. Um, Jesus came for people like John Gruden and Samaritan losers and bigots and criminals and congressmen and everybody in between. John's book is evidence of God's love for all. You just do a quick survey. Dignified Nicodemus in chapter 3 and untouchable Samaritan woman in chapter 4, an unnamed blind man in chapter 9. And last of all, we find out we're included in the story too. Well, I think a lot of you are familiar with John chapter 4 and familiar with the conversation. We'll get to it in just a moment, but it kind of goes back and forth like a tennis ball at the U.S. Open. First Jesus, then the woman replies, then Jesus, then the woman replies, and back and forth they go. Until she asked, why are you talking to me? Do you think you're greater than Jacob, the guy who dug this well? I mean, she's got a little sass to her, doesn't she? Well, who do you think you are? And Jesus doesn't back down. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Well, the whole subject grabbed her interest. Living water? What does that mean? The idea was used way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 55.1, whoever thirsty, come to the water, come, buy and drink. It's, it's satisfying. John Stott says, Jesus was both satisfying and disturbing. She gave him a drink. He wants to give her a drink. She says, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Well, she took it literally. He meant it figuratively. This is water that I'm offering that you can't put into a bucket. There's two kinds of thirst here. There's the kind that quenches your thirst, physical H2O, versus this living water. How would you describe that living water if you had to to a fifth grader? What would you say? What's the living water like? It's being accepted. It's being filled with purpose. It's being brought into a family. It's living this this life of freedom. It's being guilt-free. It's forever. How do you describe this living water? We read that promiscuity didn't work for her. That didn't satisfy her needs. Six different men couldn't supply what she needed. She lived in her guilt and her shame daily. And here is this interesting magnetic stranger who's offering to quench her thirst 
like nothing she's ever experienced before. Jesus said, drink from this well and you'll get thirsty again. But the water I give will bubble up into eternal life. What is it? I want that, but I'm not sure what I'm going to get. What does it mean? One of our happy kids songs from back in the day was, I got a river of life flowing out of me. Remember that? Makes the lane to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captive free. I got a river of life flowing up from me, flowing out of me. Spring up a well, goosh, 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 goosh. Remember that? That's, it's just this joy, this purpose, this forgiveness, this relationship. It's all of that. She said, verse 15, Sir, give me this water. I want that. But Jesus wouldn't cooperate. He wants to give her the water, but He digs into her past and says, Well, uh, 12 years ago you wrote some nasty emails. Actually, he said, uh, actually, he said, why don't you just go get your husband? And she quickly deflected. I don't have a husband. And she realized she was with someone who was omniscient. You're right. You've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Busted! Remember that? Busted! But the woman is quick. She is very quick. She does what I do when I'm caught. I change the subject. Look at that squirrel. That, that kind of thing. And she starts talking about religion. Jesus doesn't back down. And so let's pick up the scripture there. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah will come and when he comes, he will tell us everything. Jesus answered, I am He. I who am talking with you. Seems like it's the wrong time, but at that very moment the disciples returned and they were greatly surprised to find Him talking with a woman. But none of them said to her, What do you want? Or ask Him, Why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went back to town and said to the people there, Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Messiah? So they left town and went to Jesus. There'll be more in just a minute, but I, I don't know. I find it stunning as I read the Gospels. In the chapter before, chapter three, Jesus had a nighttime conversation with Nicodemus. Remember the story about being born again? Yet he did not announce his his identity to Nicodemus. But here, beside this lonely well and rejected Samaria, he announces his ID to this most unlikely girl. And you're thinking, if you want really to promote your kingdom and get, you know, PR and get get it out there, you would probably tell Nicodemus, and, you know, he's got friends in high places. But Jesus doesn't do what we do and doesn't think like we think. The disciples are shocked when they return. Uh, The woman leaves like most guys. They get over it pretty quickly. 
And they focus on lunch. Let's, let's eat. Okay, that was weird, but let's eat. That's, that's a guy. And Jesus is hungry for something else. Verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples were begging Jesus, teacher, have something to eat. But he answered, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples started asking among themselves, could somebody have brought him food? My food, Jesus said to them, is to obey the will of God, obey the will of the one who sent me, and to finish the work he gave me to do. Hmm. I didn't tell you or read to you John 4, 4. It says that John describes the beginning of the story and said Jesus had to go through Samaria. Wait a minute. Everybody goes around. You know, most people go around Samaria unless it's some urgent matter. They don't go through Samaria. They just avoid the place because of all the nastiness there. Now we see why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Uh, it, it, we see this is God's will that this Samaritan woman, one broken, untouchable Samaritan woman, would take a sip of the living water and have the chance to meet her Redeemer. So she goes to work. She doesn't have much credibility. Everybody knows her as that girl. But she stirred up the whole town with her invitation, Come and see! Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see! That's Operation Andrew right there. Where have you heard that before? Who said that before? And, And the people come as if God had already been preparing their hearts. They They're coming and... One commentator describes it as they're coming out to to the well and Jesus can see them coming. And this is what He says to His disciples as they're coming. You have a saying, four more months and then the harvest. But I tell you, take a good look at the fields. The crops are now ripe and ready to be harvested. The one who reaps the harvest is being paid and gathers the crops for eternal life. So the one who plants and the one who reaps will be glad together. For the saying is true, someone plants, someone else reaps. I have sent you to reap a harvest in a field where you did not work. Others work there and you profit from their work. In this chapter 4 of John, we see the clearest Revelation of Jesus' identity to this woman. So far, this is the clearest revelation. And we also see the clearest mission statement for His disciples. I have sent you to reap a harvest where you did not work. Verse 39 then follows up. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they begged Him to stay with them, and Jesus stayed there two days. Many more believed because of His message. And they told the woman, We believe now not because of what you said, but because we ourselves have heard Him, and we know that He really is the Savior of the world. There's a lot in this passage that I'm skipping over. 
And I admit that, and I would encourage you to read more deeply and slowly. But I have some take-homes that I would like you to think about with me. The first one is this. Uh, There is a huge kingdom principle at work here. The VIPs like Nicodemus aren't guaranteed a front row seat with Jesus. There's no connection between a person's earthly status and his usefulness to the Lord. None at all. You say you can't, (laughs) uh, you would be very wrong. And we have a book full of stories that can show a lot of people who said, I can't. I, I'm not the guy. I can't do that. Yeah, we know you can't. That's why God showed up to help you do it. Uh, he delights in surprising us. He uses donkeys to talk. He chooses common, broken, rejected, untouchable people for His service because that's the only kind of people there are. That's the kind of people he uses. Just one sip of the living water and you can't help but share it. You can't help but say, man, that's good. You should try some of that. Jesus sees the best in us. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? He knows. He knows all about you. And he sees the best in us. He's a friend of sinners. But you never see him leaving people the same way he found them. He's about transformation. Uh, this, This girl came to the well in the heat of the day to be by herself, to avoid her critics. And she met Tony Stark, the Iron Man. She met the God Man who was omniscient who knew her backstory. She thought she was going to be just left alone. Nope, this guy knows everything. He confronted her sin. Her sin has to go. And boy, we aren't like that. We don't confront very much. We promote love and compassion and we overlook and that's your thing. If that's your thing, that's your thing. I don't want to get in the middle of it. We don't want to label or embarrass anybody. You can get fired from $10 million jobs if you do stuff like that. So we stay away from that. We don't want to confront. We, we accept and we compromise and we cover up. And Jesus does what isn't done. Her inner thirst would never be quenched until she faced uh, the reality of her sin and her guilt. That's got to go. John Stott in his commentary says it better than I ever could. He says, Jesus always disturbs the comfortable before He comforts the disturbed. Yeah, why didn't I think of that? That's amazing. That's exactly what happened here. And then Jesus changes you so that you can share the living water. He just doesn't want you to go home and hoard all the water to yourself. He doesn't want you to just read every book you can read and listen to every podcast you can listen to and go to all the church events around town and listen to all the good music and just be happy in your cocoon. No! Come and see. Your job is to drink and come tell people to come and see. Billy Graham told a story 
of his time in Poland in 1981, he was seated next to a priest at a very formal dinner. And in their conversation, Mr. Graham asked the priest, please tell me about your spiritual background. That's a good thing to ask people. Tell me your story. And he said some years before he was riding on a public bus in the city, and a lady sitting behind him tapped him on the shoulder and said, Excuse me, sir. Have you ever been born again? And the guy was stunned by the question. He had his priestly garb on. And he said he was stunned, but he managed to reply. He said, well, uh, I'm a priest. And the lady persisted. She said, that isn't, the, that isn't what I ask. I ask, have you ever been born again? And the man thought about the question all the way home, got off, he was disturbed, he went upstairs to his apartment, he got out his Bible and read again John 3 and 4, you must be born again. This living water that satisfies and wells up into a spring of eternal life. He said he knelt beside his bed and he prayed. He really at that point in his life, didn't know what to do next. He had no one there to teach him. He felt like he should know, but he didn't know. He said at that moment, he call it whatever you want, he said he'd call it a recommitment or a rededication or a new birth. But for him, that was the beginning of a new relationship where he went and sought out people who taught him the way of the Lord more fully. Now here's the, here's the hard truth, you guys. We know that many churches are on the decline right now. I came across a book about uh, two guys who are writing about the non-instrumental churches of Christ and what they will look like in 2050. And here's, in their report, they say uh, that the churches of Christ, non-instrumental, have lost more than 2,000 people and nine congregations every month since 2015. How long can it continue? 2,000 people, nine churches every month are dying. They're, they're gone away. What about that? Why is that happening? What would you say in response to that? What is the issue? And I don't know. I suppose there's a lot of answers and there's a lot of smart people in the room that probably can come up with better stuff than me on this, but I'd say Christians have lost their voice. They've stopped being excited about the living water. They've settled for uh, comfort and tradition and routine. And they would rather quarrel and fight over opinions than share the living water. All we just need to do is go out to our friends and say, come and see. So this is the point. Jesus uses your story to tell His story. and he's, But He can speak for Himself. He just needs you to open the door. The people said, uh, now we believe, not because of what you told us, but because we've heard Him ourselves. That's the magnetic Jesus, isn't it, right there? If you can get people just exposed to Him for a minute, He does the hard work. Well, we get more of the story in Acts chapter 8. A couple years later, this conversation at the well in Syker uh, explodes. 
Because a man named Philip went back to Samaria and he told the people there about the risen Messiah. And there were people there eager to hear. And the Bible says many men and women were baptized into Christ and there was great joy in that region. Rejected, untouchable Samaria. A revival broke out. And it all leads back to this one person who took a sip of the living water and said, Come and see. I've been asking people in our church family to share stories. You're going to hear a couple more in the weeks ahead. But here's one from a girl in our church named Nikki. You know her. She's here today. She said she grew up in a non-practicing Catholic Episcopalian home. We had basic holiday knowledge about the Lord. My parents said, when you're older, you can choose your own way. She said in high school, her friend named Katie invited her to go to the Eastern Hills Wesleyan Church. They went every week. She was learning a lot until she graduated. Then college came and the pastor switched and she didn't have a lot of time to go back to church. So she started dating a guy and his grandma was a strong Catholic woman. So she thought she would just finish what she started with her mom and dad and Started going to St. Philip's Church with her aunt and uncle and going to classes again and all that. She said she didn't really understand anything they were talking about. She didn't really feel welcome. So she talked to a girl from the Clarence Church of Christ named Mary Ann. And Mary Ann was listening to her story and knew that Nikki was looking for a church home and some place to fit and some place to teach truth. and So she invited her to come all the way out to Clarence. And she came and she was welcomed and she felt accepted and comfortable. Then she went on a trip to South Carolina to visit her cousins and that's when it hit me. I can't live without Christ in my life, she thought. I can't do this with all this stuff going on in my life. And she said, I gave it all to Him and when I came home, I knew I needed to be baptized, and I was baptized by my friend Mary Ann, who invited me to church, and I've never left. That's a cool story, Nikki. Thank you. Well done. That's the living water. Mary Ann tasted it. Said, oh, this is so good. This would be good for Nikki. You gotta try this. Just just Check it out and see. No pressure at all. Just check it out and see. And Nikki takes a drink and she brings a little girl named Talia. And on it goes and on it goes. And that's everybody's story here in this place, isn't it? Listen, you can become a spring of living water that wells up into eternal life. It's a perennial spring. You have it in you. And Nikki's experience and this girl at the well's experience can be yours. Take one sip of Christ. It satisfies. He satisfies. I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. And I would just ask you where you are, just think about your relationship. Do you feel like you're unaccepted, outside, uh, an untouchable, not wanted? My invitation to you is just to come and check out Christ. Just try Him. Just give Him a try.
You should find out more about him. We'd be thrilled to talk with you about him. No pressure at all. Come and see. If you don't like what you see, walk away. But if you stay, uh, there's some goodness waiting for you.